Rewind is a production of Wisconsin Eye. To keep programs like this free and accessible to all, please consider a charitable gift to wisi.org slash donate or text WISI to 44321. Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review. After a disappointing midterm for Republicans, the state party elects a veteran political strategist as their next leader. How his expertise could help the party going forward. Plus, after a Milwaukee election official illegally requested military absentee ballots, a top Republican is open to making changes next legislative session to limit fraud. And an in-depth analysis of Republicans' even stronger grip on legislative and congressional seats for the next several years. All this and more on Rewind. Your week in review for December 16th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. J.R., let's first start with a story that we've been talking about for a few weeks now, but now we ultimately know who will be the next leader of the state Republican Party, and that is Brian Schimming. We reported last week that we knew that he was likely going to become the next leader, but now is official after members met over the weekend, last weekend on Saturday. So Brian Schimming, who is? Who is he? Well, he has about 30 years of experience in grassroots organizing. He was involved in multiple Republican campaigns, most recently U.S. Senator Ron Johnson. He's also served for several years in state government. He's been a well-known Republican strategist that I know uh, we both have talked to over the years. So he is now going to be the new chair. As you can see, I'm not going to read off all the names, but uh, the vice chair is going to be Gerard Randall. Uh, Kathy Kierman is going to be the second vice chair one. Tyler August, who's a state representative, will be secretary. And the list goes on and on. Uh, so looking at this, I guess, JR, the question is, how will Shimming bring his experience to kind of revamp the party after, of course, what was kind of a disappointing midterm for them? The first thing they do is go through his Rolodex, start making fundraising calls, and expand the field of donors that Republicans have. Um, we've talked about the Democrats and the machine that they have with Ben Wickler. I mean, it's a perfect storm for Democrats of Ben Wickler has national connections from MoveOn.org, where he was before he came back to Wisconsin. He has a Democrat in the East Wing. It just is a fact of life that when you have the governor's office, it's easier to raise money. And Wisconsin is a swing state. Just for kicks and giggles, I ran numbers this week about how much the two parties have raised from out-of-state donors the past in 2022. Democrats raised roughly six to one advantage for outside from donors from outside Wisconsin. Of the Republican pot of money, more than half came from two donors, Dick and Liz Uline who basically live right across the state line and have a significant business presence in Wisconsin. Why is that important? Because Wisconsin is a very important state in 2024. We are a national, you know, we are a national need in the presidential race. You have to have convinced national donors to invest in Wisconsin. When Scott Walker was here uh, during the recall election, we saw a lot of outside people from outside Wisconsin donating to the state party and to campaigns because Walker had a national profile. The recalls became this big thing of hey, this is something I want to get involved in. Once Walker left, there was less of a kind of desire, attraction to donating here. Republicans need to pick that back up. Now, they got to work their state donors as well. There's only so much money in state to run campaigns. We have a Supreme Court race in April that is going to be very expensive. Um, they're already behind the eight ball with Democrats who are raising money for that race as we speak. 
Then you have to look toward 2024, the presidential race, to build infrastructure here. Um, there's a lot on the to-do list for Brian, and it all starts with money. I mean, that's a fact of life for chairs. It's all about the money. And speaking of money, it is going to be a paid yes. position now, which we've also talked about for the past several weeks. So kudos to uh, the team being able to do that to give them a little bit more of an edge to compete with the Democratic Party, like we've mentioned, as a big powerhouse in fundraising. Mm -hmm. But they do have a paid position. So that was kind of a, a big change uh, that they elected to, to make it a paid one. Um, also, let's keep going and talking about tax cuts, tax yes. cuts, tax cuts. So we kind of just have a little bit of updates. Kind of we're getting these snippets from GOP leaders as Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, Senate Ma Majority Leader Devin Lemahue, about what a tax cut will look like. Last Friday, uh, Speaker Voss was on a Wisconsin Policy Forum panel, and he floated that he wants significantly more in tax cuts compared to the $3.4 billion uh, in the previous state budget. What that number looks like remains to be seen, but this is something that Republicans have talked about even before the election because, in large part, because of the huge projected state surplus that is likely to look at was 6.6 .6 billion right now is what is projected could go over that could go over that but that's a big pot of money that they're looking at and reforming the tax bracket we just saw on that slide is also the discussion we are talking about because senator devin lemahue floated uh what number he would envision for a flat tax and he said it would be a phased in at 3.5 percent so the lowest bracket right now are four I believe it was 3.54%. The devil is always in details of flat tax. What's your center deduction, for example, that can make a big difference. Um, a lot of this right now is basically posturing. They're laying down markers ahead of this big debate. Um, let's do some back in the napkin math real quick. We are projected to have a 6.6 .6 billion surplus on June 30th of 2023. That's the end of this current biennium. We have 1.5 billion roughly in revenue growth projected as of right now for the next two years. That's your starting point to cover all the additional spending requests and tax breaks. However, um, those spending requests from the Evers administration include doing the Medicaid expansion through the Affordable Care Act. If we don't do that, which Republicans have rejected twice already, that's $1.5 billion off of that. What I'm getting at is you start taking down these numbers, so take all the revenue growth in the next two years for that Medicaid cost. Now you're at 6.6. .6. Still a lot of money. To take Robbins 3.6 billion in um, tax cuts at least. Now you're down to three billion dollars. DPI by itself, Department of Public Construction, wants 2.5 billion dollars. Mm. Okay, we'll so see. now you see the sticking <laughs> points yeah. of what's going on here. Um, also, Governor Evers has made clear he doesn't envision signing a tax break for the top tax bracket. That 7.65 percent, the very top is for incomes of 370 grand roughly for a married couple filing jointly. Yes, it cut, you can do it, we cut taxes for everybody, but it will disproportionately benefit higher mm -hmm. earners. That's the way tax cuts work. It's just fact of life. E, that is not an average priority. So the question becomes, we've talked about BOJ vetoes in the past two cycles. Does Evers get the point where he says, look, this is not, I can't do this, I'm, I'm not gonna sign this budget. The caveat's always been for Evers, or the driving thing has been kids. He will not do anything that hurts kids, people tell me. And the number one thing about that is education funding. Well, here's a little kind of just a what if. I, I, in case we're break glass scenario, if Evers has pushed the point that he says, I can't sign this budget and vetoes it, would he find money to help schools weather the storm? Remember this current budget back in summer of 2021, he had talked about vetoing the budget. 
But the whole thing was, if he vetoed it, he would jeopardize hundreds of millions of dollars in COVID-19 federal funds going to schools. It's a real deep in the weeds, but right. we had to hit spending targets to keep that money flowing. That kind of goes away. There's still COVID money left over, though. Could Evers, and I'm not saying he was going to do this, but this is like a basically a last resort. Could he have enough federal funds left over, and he has sole discretion where that money is spent, to direct it to schools, to give them a cushion to weather the storm as a fight drags out? We're way, way far away from that. But what I'm trying to get at is Evers has more options than he did the last couple of cycles because of that COVID money left over. I'm not saying to use it, but you can see a scenario where that's a case of emergency break glass thing for him to help schools not be hurt if there's a dragged out budget process. It's going to be a big uh, scenario that gonna, he's going to have to make a decision on. Um, also want to talk about revamping shared revenue mm-hmm. because this is also something Voss floated during the Wisconsin uh, Policy Forum panel. He suggested using 1%, 1% of the sales tax to replace shared revenue. Now the concept would mean that sales tax, a sales tax in, as sales taxes increase, funding for local governments would as well. So this also goes to the longstanding argument that shared revenue has been flat since 2012. It's been flat ever since, it's stuck at 6%. And this comes as Milwaukee leaders have been advocating, trying to push GOP leaders to give them, uh, the city of Milwaukee, a 1% sales tax increase. They've been fighting for this for many, many years, but a lot of Milwaukee leaders are optimistic now because of the surplus, and they are saying that they have been building this relationship with GOP leaders. It's it's a big change in progress from when Mayor Tom Barrett was in office, which was a little, uh, yeah, little rumbles from time to time. You know, Barrett and Boss wouldn't call each other, I would say, often um, because they didn't see eye to eye in many things. And he also tried to fight for a lot of resources. So. Uh, Milwaukee County Executive David Crowley and Mayor Johnson Kevlar. Johnson was on a panel uh, with politics yesterday talking about this, talking about the relationship and how they're making this pitch to GOP leaders. Let's first take a listen and then we'll kind of get into who they met with at the Capitol as well in hopes to push their agenda forward. We're interested in working with the legislature to find uh, whatever avenues, whether it's uh, shared revenue, whether it's a sales tax or any combination thereof, a public safety grant, I, d- I don't really care what you call it. I just want to make sure that I'm able to keep the lights on. I want to make sure that I'm able to pay for police services. I want to make sure that we don't continue this trend of, of shuttering year after year uh, firehouses uh, across Milwaukee, which also affects you know, public safety. Uh, those are the things that we really want to address that I think you know, leaders in communities all across the state want to address as well. I love the fact that they're still engaged in this conversation related to shared revenue and reforms and the fact that they're actually going to try to incentivize some of these reforms uh, within our communities. So when we think about shared revenue, particularly for uh, Milwaukee County, it, with the scale of the issue that we have, we will have to see a 600% increase in shared revenue. Now, I don't care who's in control of the legislature. I'm not sure we'll ever get that. I am willing to have those conversations and, 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 and do the best deal that we can make as it relates to making sure that we can invest locally. 
Like I said, both leaders are optimistic, and they both told me and some other reporters that they were going to have meetings uh, with lawmakers at the state capitol. Specifically, Crowley said he met with Republican legislative leaders and members on the joint finance. Turns out, when I did some homework, he actually never met with GOP leaders. And, you know, this comes as how they're trying to convince them to give them more state funding. So I don't know if this rocks the boat at all. Johnson also said he was going over there to meet with certain individuals, but no one was really naming names. I did have eventually sources tell me that both of them met with Senator Howard Markline, the Republican co-chair on Joint Finance Committee. Of course, Markline plays a very important role in crafting the next state budget, but it's not the people they need to really convince to get this across the finish line of boosting their uh, shared revenue and increasing a sales tax. Uh, Robin Voss has talked about he wants to reforms with Milwaukee, with municipalities in general. Um, What are those reforms going to be? We shall see. But we talked about Milwaukee votes 2022 back in the election about how that whole GOTV effort was not helping the cause of Milwaukee leaders to get Republicans to be more open to the idea of getting more money. This is another example of where you're not building trust. And, you know, with Barrett, part of the problem was he ran for governor in 2010 against Scott Walker. He ran the recall election in 2012. There was a lot of, like, built-up kind of animosity, those things and other stuff. Um, they're trying for a reset, but they keep fumbling, hitting the button to reset the relationship and have it on solid ground. So it remains to be seen yeah. what happens. Uh, also this week, a lot of reporters right now are doing an end-of-the-year interview, so I actually got the opportunity to sit down with uh, Senator Lemahue, and I talked to him about military ballots, specifically because of the case that came out of Milwaukee, a former Milwaukee election official, Kimberly Zapata, was... Uh, faces election fraud charges for illegally requesting military ballots and sending them to state representative Janelle Branchen, who is a pretty well-known election denier, who also, she recently just, we'll get to it a little bit later in the show, just lost her position on the Assembly Elections Committee. But back to military ballots. I just simply asked him, you know, is this something you could possibly see talking about with your caucus? Could we see a bill draft just to make changes in a sense to limit the small fraction amount of fraud that does happen in Wisconsin when it comes to using the My Vote system. He said he's open to the idea. So that does come after a few weeks ago he was at an event and just said no to that issue. Um, it turns out he didn't really talk to his caucus, so that's what he told me kind of changed over time. Um, let's first take a listen to Lemahue saying that. And then in addition, you're going to hear from Don Millis, who is the Republican chair of the Wisconsin Elections Commission, who is also open to some changes down the road. I think that's something we definitely should look into. Um, there is sort of a weakness in the system exposed there. Um, so I think that's something we can look into. You do want to look into it, because I believe it was a few weeks ago before Thanksgiving you said that's off the table. Yeah, sometimes you change your mind. I just think there's that shows a flaw in the system. What we could do, though, is to allow military voters to vote um, electronically through the Department of Defense system. Again, a couple of states have thought about this. There have been discussions about that. It's something that's not probably going to happen in the next two years. But it's something I would like to to explore permanently because that would avoid, uh, it would help avoid fraud and it would enable more of our military voters to vote. 
So Millis there also told me the two areas that he's looking at uh, of possibly drafting proposals for the members on WEC, which consists of three Democrats and three Republicans. At some time in February, you talk about legislative proposals that would require military voters to be registered because right now they do not have to be and they do not have to show a photo ID and allowing the option to vote electronically online because of the vote or the delays overseas, how long it takes to send a ballot, how long it takes to return them. Millis also told me about there's only about 25% in the past midterm of the ballots requested from military members actually made it back in time. So this can just be a conversation going forward that maybe we could see in some type of legislation. Of course, they don't want to disrupt federal laws that do not require military voters to have any sense of ID. But this is, like I said, just a possible idea because Lemahieu already shot down the idea he doesn't want to reintroduce a lot of the election reform bills Republicans sent to Governor Evers. He vetoed them. That was a big discussion leading up to the election. Of course, Michaels vowed to sign those if he was elected. So those seem to be in the past, and this could be a conversation going forward. Uh, all right, let's also talk about the midterm outcomes. Uh, Jerry, you did some research mm-hmm. specifically looking at Governor Tony Evers and Mel- Mandela Barnes when looking at legislative districts and uh, specifically Senate and Assembly. So this is what you're looking at is the difference of um, Assembly seats Evers won compared to Var- Barnes and as well in the Senate. So, Jared, what are some of the main takeaways that you got out of this? Uh, there are very limited pickup opportunities for Democrats in 2024 in the state Senate. And looking at the Assembly, there are places you can go to compete but you need to have a good performance at the top of the ticket. So um, big picture, I dork out every two years with the results from the elections and kind of feed them into uh, maps and figure out, okay, how did the top of the ticket perform versus the candidate for legislative office or congressional office? Um, Got a big assist from John Johnson at Marquette with the legislative maps once the final results were in, certified last week. Took the Elections Commission numbers for congressional districts on Monday, ran through them on my own. Looking at the legislative maps, you know, in the Senate, uh, what's interesting is Evers won statewide by 3.4 percentage points. He won 13 Senate districts out of 33. Barnes won 10. Um, and there were missed opportunities for Democrats this fall. The 5th Senate district in suburban Milwaukee, Evers won that. Republican candidate won it. The Fox Valley, um, 19th Senate district, Evers won that one. The Democrat did not win that legislative seat. Those were seats that if you had maybe invested more money, you may have had a better shot. Didn't really come close in either of them. Also worth noting that Barnes didn't win the 31st, which is Jeff Smith, a Democrat swing seat in western Wisconsin. Evers won that seat. So we've talked about the drop-off between Evers and Barnes around the state. Here's some examples of where it's happening. In the Assembly, Evers won 39 districts. Barnes won 35. The ones that Evers won that Barnes didn't, the 21st, Milwaukee suburbs, Jesse Rodriguez, the 51st, southwestern Wisconsin, Todd Novak. The 73rd, up in northern Wisconsin, open seat, won by Angie Sapic. And the 94th of West Wisconsin, Steve Doyle, Democrat, won re-election. Um, those are seats where Democrats are going to have to look at for offense in 2024. Also, worth noting that in um, the assembly, the 84th was suburban Milwaukee. Bob Donovan won that seat. It's the only GOP-held seat that both Tony Evers and Mandela Barnes won. I will bet you money they'll invest funds in that district (laughs) in 2024. Also worth noting that in the fourth up in the Green Bay area, David Steffen won that one. 
Evers uh, lost it by 89 votes. Uh, the 33rd, which is kind of in southeastern Wisconsin, kind of south central, uh, Evers lost it by 34 votes. Okay, another possible target. The 74th even, northern Wisconsin, uh, open seat Democrats had held that Chance Green won. Um, Evers lost by 241 votes. But remember this, Evers won by 3.4 points. That means you have to have Joe Biden or whomever the nominee is meet that mark to set the stage for this to happen. If your name's not Barack Obama, no Democrats won Wisconsin by more than 21,000 votes, 22,000 votes in 25 years. All right? Go back to Bill Clinton, 96. It's not easy to have this kind of an outcome. You might look more at the Johnson-Barnes numbers to see, okay, where are the targets to look at in 2024? By the way, the third, that was third congressional district. Interesting note there, the biggest drop-off between Evers and Barnes was in that district, 2.5 percentage points. Um, that's key because of 2024, Derek Van Orden, um, who was, you know, Got, I don't say a free pass, but there wasn't a lot of money spent against him. Right. People are talking about that race in 2024. If you get a Evers-like performance, that's a seat that Evers won. If you get a Johnson performance, he won it by almost six points. You know, So that's the key for Derek Van Orden is what does he get top of the ticket in that race to set the stage for 2024? And these are, you know, essentially just roadmaps for Democrats Absolutely. going forward. You know, a lot of the talk has been about you know, Republicans underperform, but this is also something, too, that Democrats will be looking back on going into the next election of the tweaks that they have to make, because there's a lot of discrepancies between the two, and a lot of people are still scratching the heads about this. We knew going into the election, like, how they performed in right. past elections. This is the first real look at how they performed top of the ticket to give you that roadmap for 2024. And also we want to touch on another news tidbit this week is that Foxconn for the second year in the row received some tax credits. So they qualify for tax breaks uh, under a revised contract that happened under Governor Tony Evers that did lower some benchmarks that the company needed to meet. So two years in a row, they now did it. So they qualified for $8.6 million this time and created about 700 or exactly, excuse me, 768 eligible, eligible jobs. Of course, the big question, JR, is what they are still doing at the Mount, Fa- Mount Pleasant facility remains to be seen. <laughs> and the thing is, the contract, the state doesn't care anymore. It's not part of the deal. They don't care what they make. Once they have jobs, it's like any other incentive deal the state does. They're not special anymore in that regard. And we have an update on the 8th Senate District that just continues to get very, very crowded. The latest uh, candidate to enter the race is a Republican, and it is Randy Hopper. So now we have six candidates total and still just one Democrat in the race, which is Jody Sinkin from Whitefish Bay. So Hopper, um, he was actually a state senator from the Fond du Lac area, elected in 2008, lost a recall election in 2011 over Act 10, you have to note that that race wasn't just about Act 10. It became about his personal life. During the entire goings-on of the Act 10 debate, his estranged wife wrote a letter to Milwaukee TV station revealing that accusing him of having an affair with a Republican aide. Um, that became a big to-do because that aide got a job in the Walker administration. All this stuff kind of sur- swarmed around him. He lost that recall election as uh, a lot of GOP groups pulled back. Now, fast forward, he married that aide. They have three kids together now. The question is, do voters care about that stuff anymore? We're allowing the post-Trump era, right? Mm-hmm. Like the norms we thought were like make or break things have all kind of out the window. Or people still care about that stuff. And two, do people remember him? I mean, when he was in the legislature, he was a rising star. That guy had potential written all over him. 
um, before all this. But he moved down to the River Hills. Um, is he known down there? Is he can put money in. He owns a company that owns radio stations. Does he have the resources to kind of put into a race? Also, this splits the GOP field that much more, which makes maybe a Janelle Branchon stronger in the primary because if you have a dedicated band of people who will stick with you no matter what, that amplifies your chance in a primary that crowded. So right. something really to watch. It's really going to come down to name recognition because mm-hmm. it usually does when there's that many names yeah. to choose from. Let's get to stock picks this week. Rising is Representative Lisa Subek from Madison. So look, I, I live in the weeds in total insider baseball world. This is like the ultimate inside baseball story. <laughs> Juicy. The Lisa Subek, <laughs> uh, SCURB, which is the basically Capital Executive Residence Board, they weigh in on things about like statues on the Capitol, like decorations at the residence. I mean, there's not a powerful body. But it's a noteworthy change that a Republican had chaired that board for a long time, but now Subek got elected on a 7-6 vote, I believe it was. What happened was the change in the committee, uh, more Evers appointees coming online, Walker appointees coming off. The Democrats made clear they wanted, that Evers wanted Lisa to be elected, and she won which surprised Republicans who kind of assumed, hey, we're going to keep running the show. The bigger deal is this is an indicator about what's on tap for, like, the DNR board, a tech college system board where you've seen Walker appointees hang on. What are they going to do? Fred Prane, the Wausau dentist on the DNR board, his term expired in May of 21, a six-year term. Is he going to spend five extra years on the DNR board? Is he really going to stick it out that long, or is it realization of, okay, Evers won. There are consequences with elections. The chair of the DNR board right now, he told us a month or, month ago, roughly, that hey, he's going to ask Evers to reappoint him as chair. But if Evers doesn't, he's not going to stick around. That will open up a spot to be a 4-3 Evers board, even if Fred Prane sticks around. Um, talked to Devin Lemahue this week. He says he wants to restart the entire nomination process over again to go through these appointments, give them votes, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun, interesting to watch how the Senate reacts because they were holding out for a Governor Michaels to basically turn over the entire um, UW Board Clean Regents House. Board. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. all these folks. Now the reality is Evers is here for four more years. Are you going to work together? or keep doing this kind of stuff right. going forward. The only thing Lemmy who told me on cabinet secretaries is that he believes that there's going to be more up and down votes. Yes. Didn't really elaborate, didn't say which certain individuals he particularly has issues with. He has said in the past that some of them are too political in his view, that lean too uh, to the left. So it remains to be seen. But he said more up and down votes because his excuse for last year is that they kind of just ran out of time. Um, All right. We only got about a few minutes left, Jr. Mix this week is State Senator Lena Taylor, who is running for office again. Yes. Another local office. She ran for county executive in 2008, mayor in 2020, mayor in 2022, after she had run for uh, brief lieutenant governor in 21, dropped out of that race when Barrett went off to be ambassador. Look, being a minority is no fun, right? And you're not getting out of that minority unless you have a lot of things go well for you, like the Supreme Court flipping control to progressives and then redoing all the maps. That's a lot to ask. She's got an opportunity to run for municipal judge. The guy there is leaving to go uh, join UB, uh, Marquette Law School. Huge pay boost, 130 grand versus 55 for lawmakers. No more commute of 80 miles right. each way. Mm-hmm. Lots of reasons to be attracted to it. Now, there's a local attorney also running, so I can give you a free shot for this. The question people have is, does Lena have the fire for that job? Like, is she burned to be municipal judge? Or is this, like, one more thing to try and get out of the Senate and go do something else? Right. She got pulled off of finance in 2018, 
after this investigation with a staffer and a complaint, um, she's not going upward in the Senate. So where do you go to go outward, possibly? All right. And falling this week, which we teed up a little bit earlier in the show, is Representative Janelle Branchin, because after some riff with Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, she was the chair of the Assembly Elections Commission, and she lost that post, which comes right after uh, she was kicked out of Assembly, clo- Assembly Republicans' closed mm-hmm. caucus. So it maybe wasn't a surprise, but you also have to know that she is running for state senate. So yeah. if you are running for higher office, you know, you're probably so. not going to stay in the Assembly. Worth noting, we all knew that it was coming, that she was going to be kicked mm-hmm. off of chair. There are four Republicans in the Assembly Caucus who are returning from this session who are not either a committee chair, on finance, or in leadership. All four have crossed Robin Voss in some way, shape, or form. Janelle Branchin backed Voss's primary challenger. They've had a couple of their tiffs getting vote, you know, voted, barred from closed caucus going forward. Chuck Wickers, he also backed Adam Steen in that, prim- that race against Robin Voss. His committee went away. He's no longer a chair. Um, Elijah Banky is a, won a special election in 2021 uh, for a seat. He was called on tape saying that he wanted to punch Tony Evers in the nose, nose and calling Robin Voss a swamp creature. Scott Allen wasn't chair this session because, well, maybe not because, but strongly hinted at. Before the 2020 election, he sent a letter to his colleagues saying leadership had not been more aggressive on things. Look, there are a couple of things going on here. One, if you're going to take a shot at the king, you better not miss, right? right. That goes all of life. Number two, I talked to Republicans. They're like, these guys have all caused us problems. Like, we need to be focused on Tony Evers and run the same direction. When you are causing problems, there are repercussions. This is a fact of life in politics. Mm-hmm. If you don't play with the team, you suddenly get left out in the cold. Now, for Branchin, hey, this is maybe why the Senate is an attractive option. She looks like she's got a path there in that primary because, again, that whole, you know, where are your lanes in a primary, who's behind you. But Republicans fear if she's the nominee, she's not a great person on the April ballot special election. That's a seat that is not a great pickup opportunity for Democrats in a normal turnout. But Tim Michael's got 51.5% there. And he was abortion, tied to President or former President Donald Trump. Trump, abortion, mm-hmm. uh, the sexual wrath, all combined to weigh him down in the district like that. Branchin has various baggage as well. In a race that both for Supreme Court and Senate, which probably will have abortion being a major issue, that could cause her a lot of problems. So if she, that's not the option, what does she do beyond this? And I also should mention all the committee chairs were men- uh, announced yesterday for the Assembly and the Senate. We also have the final two picks for joint finance from Se- Devin Lemahieu in the Senate. It's be Pat Teston up from Stevens Point and Eric Wimberger from Green Bay fills out that 16-member team, and now their job is to take that budget, tear it apart, and build it back together. Oh, oh boy, I can't <laughs> wait looking to next year. All right, that will do it for this week. I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. Have a good one. This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.